Kia ora and welcome back to Cultivate Conversations. In today's episode, I catch up with two legends of the rugby game, rugby 15s and rugby 7s, that's Kelly Brazier and Portia Woodman. We talk about Tokyo, reflect on what that moment meant to them both and how difficult and challenging it was to get to on top of the podium. The ladies were actually in MIQ when I spoke to them off the Black Ferns tour to Europe. So we talk a little bit about that as well. I hope you enjoy this episode. Kia ora ete whanau, uh, and welcome to our special guests on Cultivate Conversations. Today I've got... Kelly Brazier and Portia Woodman, uh, Olympic champions. How does that feel? Feels like ages ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it kind of was, you know, three, nearly four months down the track. Kelly, where are you guys calling in from today? Yeah, we're um, up in Auckland and uh, MIQ on the back of a Black Ferns tour. So it's um, yeah, a bit different uh, being in the hotel room, but um, it's, it's good to be here. And let's go back now, well, nearly four months, actually. Well, nearly five months, because oh uh, I remember, yeah, because it, that would have been when you left New Zealand uh, and you get to Auckland Airport and no one's there. And what does that feel like, getting on a plane, first of all, to go on an international flight for the first time in ages? Well, it definitely had its perks, eh, cows, you know, getting through security, all that stuff. There's nobody there, so it's great. But then you get on the other side and there's no lounge because it's all closed down. Um, you pretty much go sit at the gate and wait until you're boarding. So it was a little bit different, but it was also really exciting to be back in the airport and be back traveling again. And Kelly, what was the Townsville camp like getting, um, as you guys were in your final stages of the Tokyo preparation, knowing that ultimately the, the team hadn't been named yet and some people wouldn't take that next flight onwards? Yeah, it's, um, I guess, pretty crazy looking back at it now. Like, we had a group of um, 16 girls there. Um, had quite a few challenges when we were there too. Like, we went into a lockdown, so had to stay in our hotel rooms for three days. And, and like you say, we had girls. Um, the team hadn't been named yet, so everyone sort of wanted to be out, out on that pitch and, and trialling to try and make that team. So um, it was definitely, yeah, weird times and just having to, to go off the flow, I guess, and the obstacles that we faced. But... Um, it was it was cool just being there as a group and um, can't beat the sunshine. Always, I think just it's kind of a moment we had waited for for so long. So to actually be able to be there, train with a group of people that wanted the same sort of same sort of thing as you was cool and um, it's it's always a pleasure to be in the group and in, in our New Zealand tennis team. So um, it was a good memory to look back on now. That's for sure. And just knowing that, you know, it was like a, a final trial situation, I guess, was there tension between people going for the same position? Or I, I know that you are all so close. What, what's it like knowing that, you know, ultimately you are going against your sister for the spot? I guess, well, for me, we do that day in, day out. So we were just on a different field, to be honest. Like, um, probably some of the toughest times are actually on our backfield at Blake Park and it gets pretty heated at times. So um, being over in Townsville, in the back of people's minds, they obviously knew there was selection at the end of it. But um, we go through some pretty gruelling times um, every single day at Blake Park. So I guess it was just, uh, just another one of those, really. And so you both obviously make the team, which is great, and then head off to your second Olympics. Okay, I remember speaking to you just before you left for Townsville and uh, for a story I was writing on Locker Room of you and Renee, which was awesome. Um, I'm not talking about the story, I was talking about talking to you guys. But um, <laughs> I remember very clearly, you, I said, what's the goal? And you, not no inch of a hesitation, said gold. And I'm wondering, going into your second Olympics with that clear goal in mind, did you feel a weight of pressure or expectation or was it like it's business time, it's on? 
Yeah, I think it was definitely the last one. Um, I think the first Olympics, there was a lot of pressure. First Olympics, Rugby Sevens had been back in the program. We were doing well throughout the four-year build-up. But this time round, we had a job to do, and it was to go there and get the gold. It wasn't because we hadn't played in so long and two years with COVID and all that sort of stuff. There's no expectations on myself from anyone. Team, it was just we've got a job to do, we know what to do, and we know how to do it. Let's just get there and do it. Um, so it was quite cool, but it was also quite different because <clears throat> once we won the gold and there was nobody in the crowd to talk to, we, we came home and we went into MIQ, we got out of MIQ and we went into a lockdown. It was very much like we went there, did a job, and then came home and had to continue life as it was. So it was, it's sort of been a really crazy ride so far, but I think definitely it was go there, get a job done, and then we're done. Well, it sounds quite simple in that regard, but obviously it was not from no. Rio to Tokyo, um, if only. Um, yeah. It was the straight line of get the job done and come home. Let's go back. Um, let's go back to actually when you got to Tokyo. And I understand that there your both of your best, one of your best mates and captain of the team, Sarah Hidney, was um, had the privilege of being the team captain and carrying the flag in. And... Um, I know that you guys were going to be in the advance party to support her and total for her in this amazing uh, honour as part of the opening ceremony. But tell us a bit about what actually happened on the way to Tokyo. Um, yeah, okay. So we, we went from, so we're in Townsville and we needed to fly from Townsville to Brisbane, Brisbane to Singapore count, and then Singapore to Japan. So we're on our way from Townsville to Brisbane, and our flight got cancelled. And so that stuffed up every other connecting flight from then. And then the, the panic set in, like, okay, we got to get our cap to the flag, so how are we going to do that? Um, and so it was just the luck of the draws, who was going to go with her. So I managed, I was lucky enough that I got to go with her, and we flew to Brisbane the next, that night, or that the next day, I can't even remember. And then, but because our flight got cancelled, our COVID, 72 hour COVID test got, was delayed. So we had to do another one. So we, when we got to Brisbane, we had to drive and find another COVID testing place, go there, get it tested, get it returned and negative before we could fly out to Singapore again. And then with that, there were so many things with that that was happening as well. So it was just this constant, called it to um, capture the flag, get the cap to the cap to the flag so it was a lot of fun it was hectic as and we we're really grateful that managed to sort out all these behind the scenes things just from one flight getting cancelled it delays everything else and it put us on a massive ride to to get her to get her there so you got there and the flag was captured and yeah. Kelly you stayed in the next party on the next flight and got there just after the opening ceremony had finished Yep, that's right. It was um, yeah, pretty cool, I guess, watching the video of their little trip and adventure. We're obviously on the sort of first part until our flight was cancelled. So, um, yeah, it was sort of funny meeting up with them, I think, 10 hours later um, at the village. But just, I guess, to see their faces, the excitement, the joy of being able to be there for the opening, opening ceremony and, I guess, hear their stories was, was pretty special. It was a great a journey through social media with you as you tried to capture the flag and that hashtag uh, was brilliant, P. Um, what was it like being next to, you know, one of your best mates, someone that you have been through some incredibly amazing times with, but also some really tough times, seeing her to stand beside her as she waved you into the stadium? I think even when she was announced as the um, flag bearer back in Tauranga, Kels and I were extremely proud of her. Um, like you said, she's one of our best mates, but we all look up to her so much that when she was awarded that or when she was given the honour, we are just like, there's no one else that we see would deserve it anymore. So for me, I, I was lucky enough and I was, it was a huge honour to be there next to her. So to watch her and to see her be so proud, um, you know, all her whanau, her mum that would have been so proud of her. Um, she deserved every moment of it. And I just wish it could have just, slow right down and she could have had it for so much longer because it was such a cool experience to just see her 
And just to be there, because we never got to go to the last Olympics, eh, Cows? We never got to go to the last opening ceremony. So it was nice to even get to that to get to get that point. So um, firstly, to be, like, extremely proud of Sarah and um, absolutely deserving of being flag, flag bearer, but then extremely lucky to get to the opening ceremony. So the opening ceremony's done and you, the whole team's together. You're finally in Tokyo. What's those last few days like, Kelly, as... You know, you go to the training pitch for the first time. You see the stadium for the first time. What's the feeling like for you as someone who's an experienced member of the team knowing that this is this is it? We're here. I think there was still that sort of level of excitement. It wasn't until I think we actually got into the village that just seeing the big buildings, the flags, um, the people, the athletes, sort of the, the food hall, that you kind of had to pinch yourself and be like, oh my God, like we're actually here. Um, so for me, that's probably when it all sort of sunk in. And then again, probably a bit different from Rio, like heading to the training pitches, just completely empty, um, straight from the bus to the pitch. And then obviously bus back to the village, there was, there's sort of nothing else. But um, in a way, probably looking back, it was quite nice because everything we did, you got to experience with, the group who you had done so much with so it was literally I think there was what 16 or 16 girls management and so you were just surrounded by them like we were kind of sheltered off to anyone else really in the New Zealand team due to COVID and that kind of thing but yeah I guess it, it's actually been pretty cool that those are the people that you're kind of training beside each day like you say you go through those highs and lows but then those were those the people that you actually got to share those sort of special moments with so um yeah it was cool different um definitely excitement levels and then yeah seeing the stadium like it was unreal um even though it was completely empty um just I guess just the amount of work that um the Japanese public and and that had put into it it was um amazing and I could only imagine had there been crowds like it just would have been mind-blowing but um still wicked to be a part of and yeah it was pretty cool to be able to I guess hear everyone on the park yelling things like that which you normally can't so um, of course yeah yeah so no it was um still excitement just a bit different than Rio that's for sure and you mentioned that you know obviously no spectators you would have loved to have had your your family your whanau your friends there uh, but I know, Kelly, on the way to the stadium, you did have a special family that were holding up signs for you on the daily. Can you tell us about that? Because I did see this on social media. Yeah, so um, we were pretty lucky to have some Kiwi supporters over there. Um, Debbie Hill, she actually used to be one of my high school teachers at Otago Girl. So her, her husband and their three kids, they literally biked down to the stadium every single day that we were training there even though they had like the gates all sheltered off and the Japanese trying to cover them and not let them see, but the kids would jump up on the playground just so they could see over the fence to wave to us. And then they would literally wait the two hours of our training session just for our bus to drive out. And then they would ride, ride their bikes alongside our bus and wave and hold these signs up. So I think um, it sort of reminded those girls that a piece of home was, was right there and the amount of, support that we did have so yeah I guess it was um pretty special to to have I guess someone close to home over there rooting for us yeah she's a bit of a legend old Debbie Hill and um I saw that I, I know Debbie Hill and Orlando her husband and uh she was saying that she was using the kids as as a as a um as a decoy really it was her and her husband that wanted to see you guys and the kids she was pretending it was all about the kids so Get on your Debs. Um, right, let's get into the let's get into the tournament. Uh, game one, day one, three three games, two games. Sorry, two games. Uh, what was it like finally running out onto the pitch? Well, for me, it was pretty surreal. Just the, I guess the postponement of the Olympics and of the whole sort of year leading in. We had literally had plans A to Z and none of those plans happened so to have actually touched down run onto that stadium was was just like oh my god we've made it like this is really happening and um yeah just yeah it was just like um 
hard to explain just like this sort of overwhelming feeling that that we were really there and getting a chance to do what we'd worked so hard for for five years so yeah it was um good times and what was it like for you P that you'd had just horrific injuries in the past five years you know ruptured Achilles multiple hamstring issues you know delayed return you've talked about that the delay the postponement did you a favor and to get to that point to run on that I can imagine the grass just would have been so pristine what was that like you know touching the ball for the first time on the in the Olympic stadium playing in the Olympics trying to win the gold medal yeah it was crazy um like you said that whole build-up I think even as we're building up to this Olympics I was so emotional everything set me off I think when our advanced group left, I just bored my eyes out because I think I was just really emotional. Every the whole we're getting closer to the Olympics, we're leaving part of our team behind. But I was just so emotional throughout the whole build up. And then when I got to the game, I was crying at the when we're standing in the tunnel, going, "Oh my gosh, we actually got here! I made it to this point." Um, you know, with all that's happened in the last five years, I was crying in the tunnel, which is pretty funny. <laughs> um, Why and then, do you like, think? Oh, yeah, sorry. Sorry to interrupt. What, why do you think you were so emotional? Because of everything you had to go through? Or? I think so. Not just, and not even just myself, but everything our team had been through um, from, from the end of Rio right up until that point, there was so much that every single one of us had been through that it was like, oh, we're finally here. We can finally do what we've been wanting to do for the last five years and it's just it was yeah it was unreal so to get out onto that field it was like give me that ball give me that ball and I probably didn't play I didn't play that great in rugby anyways but it was just so much excitement and um I hadn't I didn't have the pressure or the expectations that I that I usually feel on myself from not playing for so long nobody knew what I was like and all they had was this preconceived idea of what Porsche Woodman is or used to be. But I didn't have that pressure and I loved it. And I probably just didn't really um, focus as much on my rugby, but it was just so cool to get out on the field. Absolutely loved it. Why do you think you're so free in your expectations? I think just purely not playing for so long. Nobody knew what I was going to be like after this injury. And... Um, I didn't have, you know, I hadn't played in so long, so they didn't have this idea that I was good or I was bad or whatever else. It was just me coming back from rugby. So it was really, really cool. I really loved that idea because usually in the tunnel, I'm like, I think I talked about it before, nervous as heck. Kelly knows because she's just in front of me. I'm either going to spew, I'm either going to faint, my legs are going to collapse. Like, it's crazy nervous. But in this, I was just crying because I was so happy. Oh, goodness me. Makes me yeah. cry. Uh, <laughs> um, and Kelly, you had, you know, you, you had your own GA to the Olympics as well. And, you know, I, I understand that you had quite a bad hamstring strain in the in the final preparation. You know, were you ever in doubt that you were going to play in Tokyo in those last few weeks? Yeah, it was um, definitely not how I thought, I guess, the lead into my Olympics was, was going to be. I first kind of got of a bit of a bug when we landed in Aussie, so I didn't play that sort of Oceania tournament, and then I was just focused on getting back to training. I was eager. Obviously, all the girls were probably a bit sore from the tournament, whereas I was fresh, just wanted to get into training and smash it. Our very first uh, training session back, we had maybe five minutes left, and we just had some individual work-ons and paired up with my good mate, Sarah. And um, just oh, some, so it was her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just um, doing some sort of work over the ball, and yeah, just sort of got hit and um, sort of felt my hamstring sort of pop at the stage. But I was like, oh no, it's all good, and we were finished. And um, we had the gym after that, and I was like, oh no, I'm all good. Told our physio just to sort of be aware because I'm probably quite bad in the past of not telling her too much. And then um. I think I woke up at 2am to go to the toilet and I couldn't even lift my leg to roll over and get out of bed and so I actually flipped her a message at 2am in the morning and said Kate look I'm no good and probably I don't think I slept the rest of the night the thoughts running through my head I was like man that's it like I'm on the plane back to New Zealand so um, obviously woke up in the morning seen Kate um, went for an MRI uh, was stoked that 
obviously it wasn't fawn or anything like that, but probably lucky the amount of support I had from our physio, our coaches, that um, they were just like, we're going to keep you here right up until the day before, um, give you that time that you need. And I think I literally trained captain's run the day before and maybe one other training, and that was it for my build-up, which was probably mentally pretty tough for me because um, I enjoy hard work and, and running, and I had to watch three weeks of these girls go through some pretty grueling uh, sessions in the heat in Townsville, and I just had to sit on a sit on a uh, assault bike on the sideline or literally walk a lap around the field. So, uh, yeah, mentally it was, was pretty tough those three weeks, but um, I guess that's why standing in the tunnel for that game one, probably just that excitement of, oh, my God, I actually made it here because I thought I was on a plane home. So, yeah, I was, I was stoked to be there in the end. Well, um, thank goodness to Kate and anyone else who helped you because far out, three out from the Olympics. Um, most people would know that it takes about six weeks to heal a hamstring. So whatever she did and whatever you did and your team did, um, thank you. Um, so you get to the end of day one. And Kelly, how are you feeling? Yeah, I guess um excited still. Um, we obviously had that pretty tough game against Great Britain. Great Britain, sorry, uh, could have gone either way in, there in the end. But uh, I guess that sort of sevens, and that's why you play the game is for those moments. So um, yeah, I was sort of pumped going into day two. We obviously happened to have uh, Russia a couple of times, and and they've actually upset us. So um, I think it was just back to the drawing board, get the preparations right, and like P said, I kind of had the same mindset as we were there to do a job. So it was just sort of head down, just get out there in, in one game at a time. So, um, again, got through day two with those with those two wins and head back to the village pretty happy that night. Did you feel your hamstring at any time on day one and day two? Uh, no, I was probably pretty lucky that I don't think I had to probably fully sprint and I guess potentially being in the middle of the field kind of helps sometimes in terms of, I guess you're kind of doing more playmaking and that kind of thing and trying to get the ball to the locks of Porsche there to make them do all the sprinting. But um, I guess probably in my head too, I was just told myself, like, it, it's fine. And um, I'd worked so hard for that moment that I was just, I just had a job to do. So maybe potentially I did, but I guess I was probably so mentally focused on the tasks that, um, I, yeah, I didn't notice it at all. I mean, you, you have this incredible work ethic. You're, you're well known for it um, within sporting circles in New Zealand, not just in rugby. Um, but how much did you have to draw on your mental reserve, mental fitness and capacity to get through, first of all, the first to get up to the Olympics, the Olympics, and get through the first two days? Yeah, it was, it was massive. And I obviously I actually spoke to Dom, our psychologist, back home a bit. Um, like you say, I probably enjoy running and that kind of thing. So to literally not run for three weeks prior to the Olympics and when you think of the amount of running you have to do in a sevens game and the amount of fitness it requires, it was mentally tough knowing well, you've, you've missed out on three weeks of training going to pretty much the pinnacle sporting event of your life. So... Um, yeah, I just probably had to draw confidence and I know I had done the work pre those three weeks and um, that three weeks weren't going to undo my fitness. So um, just kind of knowing that it wasn't going to be undone in three weeks like I had trained my butt off for five years and, and sort of trusting the work I'd done. So um, I actually always write down the sessions that I do too. So I was able to look back and just be flip through, you could imagine, pages and pages of, of workouts that I'd done and so I kind of just sort of trusted that process and then like you said it was just a mental game I've uh, played rugby for too many years now probably so it was for me it was not just, enough it was just getting out on that field and then I guess trusting what I had done all those years and that rugby would sort of just happen for me out there well and, and the rugby did happen and it came um you, you, you built your momentum throughout the tournament, but 
what was it like? Did you get much sleep leading into the finals day, knowing that you had to get over Fiji? We'll talk about Fiji soon because that's a whole nother conversation. Um, but did you get much sleep, both of you, the night before? Uh, <clears throat> I don't think I got much sleep. I think I may, maybe maxed out at maybe five five hours, just the excitement. Um, we had, yeah, we had got to the point of, you know, getting to Olympics, our uh, middle stage, and it was just no time for sleep. There was no energy for sleep. So <laughs> make do with what you got. I think I went to sleep maybe two, three o'clock. Tanika was my roomie, and we were just trying, trying our hardest just to kind of zone out and go to sleep, but it just didn't work. So we'd make do with what you can on, on those times anyways. <laughs> I was probably the opposite. I got a bit more sleep than um, Portia. And I think probably because the games, they didn't finish too late. So we actually got back to the village at a reasonable time and probably was excited, I don't know, from 5pm onwards sort of thing and gave my sort of self time to wind down and I guess go through some of those moments in my head that while we're at sort of the knockout stage of that and then, um, yeah, I didn't have too, too much of a problem sleeping. I probably got a decent seven hours, which is pretty good for me. Nice. Uh, right, so you get up, you know that this is the day you've worked so hard for. What do you have for breakfast? That's a great question. I think on a regular, it was, we had boil, hard-boiled eggs on toast with fruit. But it was it's always hard. I find it hard to eat on the last day. Um, I don't know about you, well, Kelly. You can speak for your own one, <laughs> but um, I definitely find it hard to hard to eat on that last day. Um, again, the nerves, um, but you're just shoving your face with anything that you feel like you're gonna need, um, protein, carbs, um, anything you can to just get it in. But it's it's not for taste; it's for fuel, pretty much. That's how I see it now. I think back in the day, I probably wouldn't have eaten, but knowing a little bit more, a bit more experience now. I know I need my carbs, I need some protein, so I just get that in and then I'm on the way. <laughs> uh, yeah, Portia's probably laughing at me because she knows I'm not the biggest <laughs> fan of breakfast. So um, to be honest, back in the mound, I, I train on an empty stomach. Um, personally, I feel better for it. But um, yeah, the Olympics, I think the same on game day, I, I do try to shove something in, but it's pretty bland, like peanut butter on toast and purely just for the fuel, same with the sort of drinking sides of things. I, I actually don't drink um, water, but um, <laughs> sort of leading into the event, I'll sort of scale back a few bottles and things like that. So, yeah, probably don't take any advice from me. Uh, <laughs> he's our best, worst athlete ever. Or worst, so best what athlete. Do you, what? <laughs> Nothing. Yeah, like, I don't know if you've noticed in the games, they've, Oh, they've actually stopped running to me now because they know I don't take the drink bottle. So, um, yeah, I drink nothing during the games. Wow, we <laughs> Kelly Brazier. Yeah, right. Um, stay <coughs> hydrated, team at home. Uh, <coughs> so let's talk about that Fiji game because, by crikey, you gave us a fright. We knew it was there, but I actually think how awesome it was for the world to see Fiji Anna display the most incredible rugby against against you Wahinetoa. What was it like on the field? Um I think there were stages where we definitely thought um we've got this. Like we're not we we're never arrogant or cocky about it, but it's like we always get to a point, I don't know why, but we always get to a point where we're down. And we love coming back from it. So I think just like that great rhythm game, we we kind of thrive in those areas. And I think there was a point where we were like, okay, yeah, we, we got this. We're, we're kind of mucking around now. Let's start doing the deal and let's finish the game. Um, but I don't know if you remember, but there was a time Sarah got the ball back and she threw it to me. And I was so buggered. I just looked at her and held onto the ball because I knew we had the scrum. And I was like, no, I want the scrum. I'm not running this <laughs> 90 metres down the side. And so I think, and then... I got subbed after that, so then that was me at the end of that game. But it was it was terrifying, and I think I I know for myself we played terrible rugby in that game, but it was definitely something to watch. Um, it was a bit like our Com Games final where we played terrible rugby, but it was a great spectacle to see. So on the on the field, 
was not very good, but I think it, once we got to the end, it was actually kind of like, oh my gosh, let's never do that again. <laughs> Please never do that again. Um, what was it like for you, Kelly? I remember at one point seeing you in a huddle um, and really directing the traffic. Um, you know, this wise head making sure people knew their jobs and I just think that that was quite a moment seeing you in that um real when the leadership really had to step up yeah I think probably firstly I was stoked like for Fiji like that's what they're capable of and um to see it on like such a pinnacle stage was awesome and to obviously be able to meet them in the semi-final I think probably like Porsche in terms, there was obviously um, stages of sort of momentum shifts in that game. And uh, for me, we actually trained that at least two or three times a week back at Blake Park. Um, we're 7v7. Even if your team's up by 20 points, once it's like you're 5-0 down, it's last play. And you could imagine the girls, you know, like, what the heck? We're winning by 20 points. Like, we're not 5-0 down, but obviously just trying to put us in those pressure situations and um, there was times we obviously didn't score and so at training we're like oh my god we like, we just lost and so that was week in week out for, for months on end and I think leading into the Olympics we started to get to a place more often than not when you know you're saying last play you're, you're five points down or things um, our group would find a way to score and I think that proved um, with Gail obviously scoring that final try and I guess probably where I came in was just um, being in those positions before and, and training and, and just sort of, again, knowing the game and um, I guess trying to sort of calm some of the girls down and just be like, you know, they'll sort of pick for a reason, do your job, you're good at it. And um, like Pete said, we, we hadn't been playing too well, so it was just about um, reverting back to the basics, holding on to the ball, and obviously eventually we sort of got there in the end and... Um, we obviously didn't want to go through it again, but I guess looking back, it was like a great show for obviously the rest of the world to see, even though our hearts were racing out there too. But um, yeah, I think it probably went back to, we literally trained that moment time and time again. And and you then are in the gold medal match, and this is what you've worked so hard for, to put yourself in a position where you can achieve your goal. And so is it a feeling of relief, a feeling of extreme nervousness as you go back, recover, and then head out again? What's the feeling in the camp as you're preparing for to take the field for the final? I think it's like, um, I don't know, personally I probably almost feel less pressure once you get to the final. Like um, any World Series, it's you're where you want to be, like, everyone wants to be in the final and now you're, you're actually there. So um, I think a big thing over over the years for our team is once we're in that final, it's like, like just go have fun. And that's probably, I think, why we've had a lot of success is because people are just in, enjoying what you do. And I think we play a lot more freely, throw the ball around and it sort of results in some good footy. And I think that was probably um, no different than that Olympic final. Um Obviously, against France, a good side. We played them in the World Cup final too. And um, definitely, obviously, there's nerves, excitement. Um, but even if you could look back at our change room before it, like, I don't think we spoke really anything rugby after the review. There was just girls dancing. Um, obviously, a few of us were not dancing. But um, it was just kind of like a bit of a party in the change room. And, and that's what we kind of do. And I think it's pretty cool that what's special about our group is. Um, we can sort of have those times, laugh, dance around, but then once we sort of hit that warm-up pitch, it's everyone's focused, they've got their processes, and I think it was obviously nailed and able to come away with that gold medal. Was there a moment in that French game, Portia, where you thought, we've got this? I think we, <clears throat> like health sport, we, we always train in those pressure moments so when we get to the point where it's three four three minutes to go and it's it's not a stressful moment for us um, I think 
we can always look each other in the eye and be like, okay, always just a glimpse. Either I look at Ruby or Cows and Goss look at each other and we know what we want from each other. And um, for me, it was the point that line out down the end and we were so close to the try line and we just had to kind of finish the line out and we we're just so close to it. But that was the point where I kind of knew, oh yeah, I think we might have this. We all start looking around. Um, Minnie, you can see Minnie's jumping up, jumping up and down on this on the wing. Cows is getting ready to do her thing. Like we are, we're pretty stoked. I think that's the point when I can remember. Yep, we've got this. Just in that last line out. And what about for you, Cal? Yeah, probably similar. But I think um, P sort of talked about it earlier on. We're a team that quite often goes down and comes from behind. But I think when we can can start a game well. Um, we're pretty tough to beat and that game we did start well um, scoring first and that kind of thing so um, I was actually on the sideline watching at that point and personally for me knowing we were kind of up I knew we were going to be tough to beat but um, yeah looking up at the clock and just sort of seeing it ticking down with maybe two minutes to go and they had to score at least three times I was like yeah I knew we sort of had it and like P said too just uh, looking into each other's eyes and knowing there was no words spoken but you just knew what the other person wanted. It was kind of just like next job, let's let's hold this ball kind of thing, and it, and it was ours. And obviously, we we're able to manage to hold onto that ball and and kick it out there at the end. So, yeah. What did that feel like when the final whistle blew, and you knew you were going to stand on top of the podium with an Olympic gold medal around your neck? <laughs> it was weird. Like I don't know whether it was relief. Obviously, like happy, excited, but I think just, like, again, Pete, we've probably spoken about it the whole way through, like, for five years in our head, like, we had a job to do, and so just the mindset going there was, like, we're going there, we want gold, let's get it done, and so I think it was, you know, it's probably hard to say, like, we were going in, obviously, favourites, but there's a lot of favourites at the Olympics that get upset and, and, and don't win. So I guess looking back to, to actually, yes, we were the favourites, but to still go there, execute and have done it, um, extremely proud, but it was just kind of like, yeah, tick, job done. What about for you, Kay? Yeah, I was very much the same. Like, whistle blew, we all jumped around, but we're also going, we did it. We did it. This time, last Olympics, we were crying. I was bawling my eyes out because we we didn't want to do it. But this time, we're crying and jumping for joy because we we had been through all the adversity, all the highs and lows of the last five years, and we we got the gold. And it was convincingly, which is how we how we know we can play. Um, yeah, exactly like cows. Job done. Stoked as. <laughs> So the job was done. You you celebrate as a team, just like incredible scenes, incredible interviews with you all. And then you come back to the New Zealand team and they welcome you in and the rowers lead um, Potangata and you're doing it back to them. And I think that was, for me personally, one of the most incredible moments of the New Zealand team campaign, seeing you both um, do this haka of such mutual respect and admiration for what you'd achieved. What was that like uh, to face that haka and do it back to the team as well? I think we're lucky enough from the Rio Olympics, we really got on really well with the rowing team and we built some really cool connections. Some of them we've, we have stayed in contact with since um, Rio. So we're really good mates now. And so when we got back and we saw that they were leading it and they were there up the front smashing it, it was so cool because we'd been there together in Rio and then to have them, you know, celebrate with us for when we did get our gold, it was awesome. We, we were mates with these people and so we just felt this absolute power to, to give it back to them because it, it's never a challenge, it's just a, a sign of support and respect. So for us, I know, th I know for all of us, it was just something like, yeah, we've got to do it back to them. We love these guys and we can feel their money them as well and obviously you didn't have any supporters in the stands as much as you would have loved to have them what was it like ringing your families Kelly seeing your son 
um, on the phone seeing uh, Kaya for you, Portia. What, what was that feeling like? Yeah, it was, um, yeah, very special. Um, I had, when I looked back at my phone and sort of seeing videos of Oakley watching me, um, yelling at the TV, pointing, like yelling out, Mama, things like that were just like, I don't know, kind of probably it did. It brought tears to my eyes. I probably cried in my room, but um, yeah, it was probably just special. Like those are the people that, you know, support you year round, highs, lows, and um, I guess just being able to share some of your excitement back with them and, and knowing that they were a part of it because um, like we've spoke about obviously a lot of adversity, challenging times, but um, they were sort of by our sides through it all and, and sort of helped us. So that was so cool um, talking to obviously Talia Oakley, um, my mum and dad, he probably my, my harshest critic. So to hear just nice words from him was, was pretty cool. And, um, and then yeah, to be able to, obviously I actually got back to Dunedin and was able to take my medal down was um, yeah, just unreal. Like, Obviously, I'd gone down five years before that with the silver, and to, to be able to go back and replace it with the gold was, um, yeah, it's just sort of crazy. Like, they'd obviously heard, heard me speak about it and all these things I wanted to do, and then to actually go and do them and, and take this gold medal back was, I don't know, that's why I do it, the medal to, for, the, for the kids, not necessarily for myself. And what about you, Portia? Have you been um, able to reconnect with your people? Yeah, so uh, originally when we got back to the changing rooms, I called Renee, and she was out celebrating with a few of the crew that was back home, so I think she was out with Connor Hidney, and it was crazy watching them um, party it up, so that was cool. We got repeat stories over and over again while you're on the phone, but that's okay. Um, but I didn't get to talk to Kaya because it was middle of the night, and I think she might have been with her cousins and stuff, but once we got home... Um, Show, oh, Renee showed me a video of Kaya watching one of our games on repeat. Absolute awe of our team. She watches this, the game over and over and over again. So much so that her teacher showed her class the video of her just watching the game. And I think that is why, that is a part of the reason why we do it, is to inspire our babies. And um, if I can inspire my daughter, our daughter, to not play rugby but to follow her dreams and that she could someday be a Simone Biles or you know like she can do that too then that's that's all we really want um I haven't had a chance to go up north yet I'm hoping once we get out of here and we do our home isolation I'm going to try and fit in a time to go up north because I need to give it back to them I went up home for Northland last year and I haven't had a chance to take the gold medal back to them and it would mean a lot um, so that was that would be cool. Uh, with mum and dad, they would have been there. I think Kaz's mum would have been there as well over in Tokyo. Um, so for them to not be there was was pretty sad um, for for all of them. Uh, but mum and dad, they managed to get up north to our rugby club, our highway rugby club, and they stole Gail's nan and Koro to take. Um, they were originally in Auckland with Gail's nan and Koro. Then they stole them and took them up north. And so Gail's nan and Koro was up home with my whanau watching a gold medal match. And it was pretty cool because the, the club rooms was packed out with all of Kaikohe and they just slotted in really cool. So um, Gail's nan and Koro were right at home. It was great. <laughs> oh, how special is that? Because, yeah. I mean, I've, I've interviewed um, Gail for Cultivate Conversations and, uh, you know, also interviewed Gail before and just the, the immense pride and love that she has for her... Um, Nan and Koro is, is pretty awesome. So how special that they teamed up. I know. I was like, wait, what? Why are they, what are they doing with you up here? Oh, we, we stole them. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Because they were at the cloud, weren't they? So yeah. um, I'll just point out that Gail's family is from Taranaki. So they went further Sorry. north uh, to the Māori Northland. So isn't that great? Yeah. That's like unreal. It's like a 10-hour trip. <laughs> so good so good so I guess you've you've now you've, you've had a chance to sort of have this weird reflection time of when you haven't I guess been able to celebrate the medal and what you sort of envisaged and what the team envisaged and what New Zealand um you know had hoped for you all and all members of the Olympic team regardless of medal or not mm. and 
I feel like that that's kind of been a bit difficult uh, for everyone. Yeah, it was um, tough. We had lots of celebration events planned, obviously, the week that we got home and back into lockdown, we were like, oh, you've got to be kidding. But um, <laughs> we've actually got um, sort of a celebration event. I think it's our last day of um, the Sevens program this year. So um, looking forward to that because it will be the first time we've actually reconnected as an entire group um, since the Olympics. And I, I know from the sort of coaches down, they know how important it is to, I guess, celebrate both the team's successes. So, yeah, definitely looking forward to, to getting back and seeing the rest of the sevens group. And I guess with some of them that obviously didn't manage to travel with us, um, just share, share some stories and, um, I guess, enjoy each other's when you're used to seeing them every single day, it's been a bit weird not seeing them for um, three or four months. Well, I think that will be a really special moment for you all. Now, just quickly touching on, you're just back from the Black Ferns tour to the Northern Hemisphere. A hard tour, four losses. Where do, where do the Black Ferns go from here? We are currently, um, you know, we're, we'll head into off-season for a little bit, and I think we get back into it. Uh, mid January or early January. Um, obviously, we've we've got a new competition starting up next year with Super Rugby Okiki. Um, really excited for all of that. Um, but yeah, based um, from that end of year tour, we got a lot of lessons from there. It wasn't the greatest tour, obviously, for our history. But from that, I'm really excited. Um, if we had a one or cup, we would have had. You know, we were, we were perfect, we wouldn't have had any problems, but getting that little show, getting that um, little wake-up call is really good. I, I think I'm really excited for, for our team heading into next year, um, and definitely with Okiki, it's another step um, in between FPC and Blackburn, so hopefully it'll be a really cool competition um, for us next year, and I know the Black Ferns have got a few fixtures heading into the World Cup, so this is, there's still a lot of um, focus out there for the 15-a-side team, which I'm really excited for. Uh, yeah, I can't wait for Super Rugby. It's going to be so good for the game, and can't wait to see you guys out there. Uh, Kelly, 2022 it is a massive year for uh, women in rugby. Uh, Com Games, World Cup, well, it's Com Games 7s in Birmingham, uh, World Cup 7s and World Cup 15s in New Zealand. Uh, are we going to see you two in all three of those? Yeah, it's, um, like you say, going to be a pretty busy year. Um, but in terms of that, we obviously only have, I think, two sort of World Series 7s events and we're kind of used to eight or nine. So I think in terms of workload, it's it's no more. I guess it's just a few more pinnacle events. but um for me that's why I train sort of day in day out is is to be able to participate in events like that so yeah for me um I'm looking forward to getting home seeing the family have a few weeks of rest and, and then sort of get back into some training for a big year ahead and um we'll see what happens but if I could I'd like to be in um all of those pinnacle events you just um spoke about but obviously um there's some sort of conversations to be had and and see how it sort of works out around sort of timings and then um, sort of camps and things like that. But um, I'll be doing everything I can in, in my car, so I guess be in the best shape to, to be able to put my best foot forward for all of those events, hopefully. And Pete, how big is having the World Cup uh, here in Aotearoa for what it could do and what it will do for young girls, young boys, uh, not just in rugby, but seeing people, like you say, achieving their dreams and the message that that gives to our tamariki and langatahi. Uh, it's going to be huge. Um, having spent, spent, spent some time up north um, with my Northern Cody team, um, realising the potential that's up there and how much more work we can do up there is really cool. Um, and with this World Cup, with the with some of the games being played up in Whangarei, I'm really stoked about that. Um, it's going to get the game out there, and like you said, not just um, for rugby players, but for girls and boys to look that they can achieve their dreams, and if they can, they sometimes might be able to do it at home. 
um, for myself when I went to the um, 2017 World Cup, that is still one of my career highlights. And to be able to experience that on home surf, or home home turf, it would be absolutely incredible. Um, we've got a lot. To, um, yeah, the World Cup at home is going to be incredible. I'm going to probably have all of Ngāpuhi follow me all over the country. So, everyone better watch out if I make the team. <laughs> We're going to have Ngāpuhi in their ears, but um, it's going to be so cool for women's rugby, women's sport, and just all of sport in New Zealand. Well, bring it on and let's uh, start with actually the Cricket World Cup at opening at Blake Park, 4th of March. I know you um, you guys will be there to support the White Ferns as well. So um, I'm really conscious of time, but I just want to finish with a quick fire five. So just hit me with your answer straight away. Um, from Tokyo, best souvenir. Well, this is really quick fire, isn't it? Yeah, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, what did we get? Oh, wow. Yeah, we got a phone. We got a Tokyo phone. Does that count? Oh, there we go. Yeah, yeah. Kelly? Um, what was it? Best souvenir? Yeah. Um, oh, I'm going to say my gold medal. Yes. Yes. <laughs> You're the first one that said that, and I've been trying to, like, get, that's why I wrote the question. <laughs> oh, my God, I didn't like think that. of that. <laughs> um, okay, best meal at the, in the village? Rossi bread. Uh, yeah, the dumplings. Thanks. Uh, best roommate on tour? Tanika Willison. Well, my roomie was Stacey, but I can't even say her because she's the most annoying roommate. Um, <laughs> but I was stuck with her the entire Olympic campaign, but nah, she's good company. <laughs> <laughs> okay, best meal in New Zealand on return? Tinners on fried bread. Um, I'm going to go with my good old McDonald's. Magus. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and finally, plans for summer. Just time with friends and family, beach, um, good food, yeah, and friends. Yeah, Christmas with um, whānau, hanging out with babies, um, getting some celebrations with the friends of whānau. Awesome. Well, it has been a real privilege to look back on Tokyo with you guys. Um, uh, we are immensely proud of what you've achieved, not just in Tokyo, but the messages and the way you conducted yourselves leading into Tokyo for the five years previous. Uh, you re you're really are true role models for New Zealand, inspirational to me and many others. So I hope you enjoy the last few hours in MIQ. Enjoy uh, being back with your families and have a great summer. Thank you very much, Portia Woodman and Kelly Brazier. Thanks, Sarah. Yeah, thank you.